Alright, no question to start this one off. This is a, uh, a special, special episode here. A three-episode week for us. Uh, was not planned that way, but uh, it was announced today that the Patriots and Bill Belichick mutually parting ways. The end of the Belichick era. A lot of emotions swirling around New England. It was a big sports radio day for those who listened. Uh, a lot of speculation of who's going to take over, where Bill Belichick goes next. And we'll, we'll definitely cover all that and uh, and get into the future. But for now, Dave, initial, what was your first reaction when you saw the news this morning? Bill Belichick out as a Patriots leader. Um, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I think it's definitely surreal because just because basically our whole lives, that's all we've known is Bill Belichick, head coach. I mean, he was hired in 2000, so I wasn't even seven years old. Mm. Or I was seven, I was almost seven years old. So yeah, it just feels like surreal to kind of be sitting here at age 30 and be like, oh, wow, okay, Patriots have to actually look for a head coach. It's For a while, we were always like, oh, wow, can you believe it? The Jets and Dolphins are going to hire another head coach. The Bills are on their fifth. Like, And it's – you just sit there and you kind of take it for granted. But I think it probably it makes the most sense for all those involved. I think Belichick probably wants to move on. It wasn't really working with him having personnel control anymore. He was making too many mistakes. Belichick, the coach, can still coach. Like, the defense had no business being a top-ten unit, and they were. Mm. And uh, it just – it's disappointing, but if you look at any of the great coaches, whether it's um, Tom Landry or, you know, Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells. Uh, Rob Chudzinski. Uh, Exactly. Rob Chudzinski. Yeah. I mean, realistically. Mark Tressman. It, it never ends well. Like, for or for the most part, for players or coaches that have, like, this long kind of song and dance with, with the team. It just doesn't usually end well. Like, eventually stuff, you know, comes full circle. It comes where you started, whether the team probably wasn't very good, like in Belichick's case, or, you know, injuries age catch up with you and unfortunately it caught up with with belichick here but you know it's it was an amazing run but it it was probably time brandon your initial reactions this morning to the belichick uh decision um yeah i was bummed out i really was um woke up probably like 8 8 a.m um I think the news dropped like 7.30-ish. So mm. as soon as I woke up and first thing I saw when I picked up my phone was the notification that they were officially parting ways. And I mean, I was one of the people who thought that there was a chance he would be staying because, you know, and I know it was very naive to believe that it would work. But, you know, I was like, hey, maybe there's a potential shot that they just say, hey, you could still coach. We need someone else to put the team together. Like, you're obviously still an excellent coach. We can see that. Um, But the personnel side of things, we need, you know, some upgrades. Um, But like Kraft said, in all honesty, that really wouldn't work because how are you still going to have Bill there while you have a GM making moves? And if Bill starts to disagree with those moves, like, at what point is he going to bite his tongue or start giving input? And then what happens there? Does the... If the GM doesn't agree with him, are they going to make the move that Bill wants or are they going to make the move that they want? You know, and it it just 
opens up a whole can of worm, worms. And one of the things I'm most happy about, granted, there was a lot of awkwardness from this press conference today. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. Um, but I'm happy that it ended amicably and it was on good terms. And Bill, you know, he's like, I'm going to be a Patriot forever and I can't wait to be back. And I, I'm, I really can't believe it, honestly. And like, obviously, the old signs were pointing to this. It's not a surprise, but it's more of a yeah. shock. And yeah, I, I'm still i don't don't think it really has fully hit because like dave said you know my entirety the entirety of my time watching football he's been the consistent the consistency there and you know in more ways than just him being the coach i mean the way that the patriots are run in general so much of that was based on him as an individual so like every single thing about the organization right now is going to be going through at least some change in some way shape or form so it's um, an exciting and also a very nerve-wracking time. I do really wish Bill the best. Same with exactly with Tom Brady. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, a, I'm I'm not gonna be a fan of whoever. Like, I'm not a fan. I was never a fan of the Bucks when Tom Brady was on the Bucks. But I'm always gonna be rooting for their success. And when they do win, I'm happy for them. And I'm happy that you know Tom Brady got his Super Bowl because it's Tom Brady had nothing to do with the Bucks. But like, if that were to play out the same way for Bill, I'd be happy for him too. Um, you know, six rings, 24 years. And I know there's, and I don't necessarily blame people who think that we should have traded him and tried to get the most as possible. Um, we saw with Sean Payton, you know, return to the Saints and that trade from the Broncos. But, you know, these were kind of different circumstances in terms of like the transaction. And I think teams would be iffy in that regard. But also I, I like the way that Kraft described it and that, you know, these guys have given you two decades plus six rings. You know, you let them go out on their own terms. You're obviously going to take a, a bit of an L in terms of the compensation you could have gotten. But, you know, just having that connection and having that mutual respect and having them still be a part of the Patriots family when all is said and done, that's way, way more important than, you know, netting uh, whatever pick it could have been. You know, yeah. having that relationship still and that bond still and everything still be intact. You know, this is the greatest dynasty in, in, in professional sports history. Um, yeah. As far as I know, definitely in American sports. I, I, I shouldn't say professional sports. I don't know. But as far uh, as American yeah. sports, if, absolutely. If you want to say the, the, the four North American sports, I'd say for sure. I mean, just the limitations of the salary cap era, I think that building a team that was a contender pretty much for 20 consecutive seasons, I mean, give or take a few of those, um, it's just remarkable. It, it, it it's it's unprecedented. It will pretty. I can almost guarantee you will never happen again. I feel like a broken record. I've said this before. I feel like on a podcast maybe last year, like when we were kind of reevaluating the Patriots season, but it's never going to happen again. I mean, it's it, it's just it's hard to put into words how just stunning it was to watch it all play out, and you never thought it was going to end, but. You know, I wish Belichick the best. I think, you know, I'm in the camp that I think it was the right time, especially if he wasn't willing to cede the GM duties to somebody else. I, I just think it's it's time for a change. Um, you know, there was a decline there, and while the defense was great and Dave's point about them being a top-ten unit is, is accurate, they had no business being that good. They were keeping them in games they shouldn't have been in. I mean, the Chargers offense, I know it was a monsoon that game, but that, that game – was indicative of how good they are because the Chargers have some really solid players and 
the fact that it pretty much took, what was it, it was six nothing, two field goals, and the offense couldn't score. So really a microcosm of their season at large. But as good as the defense was, you know, Bill, Bill bared responsibility for, you know, not, I know Bill O'Brien ran the offense, but just the offense was so incompetent and just couldn't get anything done. And it was just so tough to watch um, and has been really for more than one season now. So it's just time for a change. It's time to move on. And clearly Bill and Robert Kraft saw it that way. Um, and now we look to the future. I mean, well, trust me, I have some prep that I did that we'll go over in, in a few minutes about recapping the Belichick era. But... Um, mostly his work as GM, so we can touch on some of our, you know, I mean, we don't need to go too long on the six Super Bowls because we've, you know, everybody's covered that. We know how it was. We know how it felt. It was incredible. It was wonderful. Um, <clears throat> no notes on those. But, um, Brandon, I, I know it's maybe a fait accompli at this point, but who do you think ends up taking over as head coach? I mean, I know that it, by now people may be listening to this, and who knows, maybe that the hiring's already done. But... Let's say that, let, let's say who do you think takes over as head coach? And if you could pick from anybody, who would be you pick to be the head coach? Um, as far as who I think will be the coach, I think this, and, and after hearing Ian Rappaport's report and all the stuff that's been coming out recently, it does sound more, more likely that, you know, they had a succession plan in place for Mayo to be the next head coach whenever Bill ended up you know, leaving the organization. And, you know, I, I would be very happy with him as the coach, especially since there seems to be a lot of player support. I know there was that report that came out a couple of weeks ago where people were saying he kind of rubbed some some folks the wrong way or whatever. Um, I put, like, no weight into something like that, honestly, because that could just as easily be, you know, someone who, you know, is kind of, like, maybe doesn't like him as much or doesn't want him to be the coach or doesn't want him to have that kind of cachet to toss him something out there to try and, you know, throw a little smoke in the air or whatever, you know? So uh, as far as players publicly supporting him and whatnot, that's what I put more, put more weight in. Um, as far as who I'd want to be the coach, he's definitely in the mix. Obviously, Vrabel's in the mix. Brian Flores, honestly, I think would be an excellent head coach here. Um, I think he did a good job with the Dolphins. Uh, especially when you know that they were trying to tank and he, you know, randomly had the team playing really well, especially after they had like a historic, remember that they had a historically bad start to their season. They were like getting outscored by more mm -hmm. like yeah. any other team in NFL history. Whatever. They started the season one and seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then they ended up finishing the season with like five or six wins or something. And yep. they beat some pretty good teams and then they ended up doing pretty solid the year after and then everything since. Um, so I think he'd be a great coach. I think Brable would be a great coach. I think Mayo would be. I don't necessarily have a preference between the three of them. Um, I'd be very happy with with either of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, before I throw it to Dave, I think the writing is on the wall at this point. I think it's. I, I think it's Mayo's job. I mean, I think last year they pretty much made it known that he was the coach in waiting, and I, I'm told. I, I know there's some dissension on Twitter about it, but. I really like it. I like Mayo a lot. I think he's proven he's proven that he's here to stay. I think he's really worked his way up in the ranks. I, I don't think he's a... I know there's a lot of concern, concern about him being a quote-unquote Bill guy, but 
I don't think he is. I think he's going to operate on his own. I think he's going to bring his own flavor to the team and to the defense and hopefully to the offense. And then I think he kind of builds his own staff out from there. I mean, and then he got to find a GM at that point. But, um, Dave, are you, you think it's also Mayo? Do you think, you know, who would you – I mean, honestly, I mean, if I had my pick, if it wasn't Mayo, I would love to go for a Ben Johnson um, from the Lions. But it looks like he's going to go elsewhere. So who do you think, uh, Dave, if you had your pick of the litter – who would you pick if it wasn't Gerard Mayo? But I'm assuming you think it is Gerard Mayo. Yeah, everything seems to point to Gerard Mayo, which, <clears throat> again, I, I don't have any problem with Gerard Mayo. I think he's going to be a good head coach. But I've always just been of the thought, if you're going to develop a really young quarterback, there's nothing more critical than the, rep, the relationship between a, a play caller and an offensive mind and even a head coach and a QB. Like Brady and Belichick – People will make a big deal of it, but for a long time, they really saw eye to eye. They had meetings all the time. They talk. They, you know, there was video of it, like in documentaries. They'd sit in the office. They talk. They, they go over meetings. They talk over random stuff. Like all of a sudden, Brady would come in. Oh, what if we did this? Like it's important that you can have that collaborative environment. And I, I just don't know if you want to have. Not that you know younger QBs can't succeed with a defensive-minded head coach. That's not true at all. Uh, but. I just think it makes sense to have an offensive mind working with your young QB as that coach. Ben Johnson would be great. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of options for this cycle. Like, the top names are mostly retreads. Dan Quinn, um, Jim Harbaugh, Belichick, obviously. Like, there's not a lot. And then, obviously, potentially Mike McCarthy, if Dallas gets Dallas loses to Green Bay, I would assume he's out. Um, it's... There's just not Ron Rivera. There's not a lot of really new, fresh coaches. You have Bobby Slowick, maybe, for, for the Texans as the coordinator. Lou Anaromo for Cincinnati, the defensive coordinator. Um, so, again, like, Brian Flores, like, like Brandon said, is probably only a candidate here just from what he's going through. He probably only has connections enough to get something here, which is kind of sad. But um, I, would, I think he'd be I would, a really good fit. I would love Brian Flores here. I would love it. I, I, assume, did, I would I, too. I, I think he's an excellent, excellent head coach. I mean, he um, that Vikings defense before the season was probably going to be one of the ten worst defenses in the league, and he made them into a like a quarterback killer essentially. Yeah, I mean he's he's a great coach, and he's yeah. I think he's he did a really good job in Miami, and I think the players love him. I think he'd be any team would be lucky to have him, in my opinion. But I just think. When you're drafting a young quarterback, in my opinion, you want to go with an. I'd I would rather go with a young offensive mind. That's just how I feel. But, it. I mean, for the most part, when you look at the list of of people available, unless you're going way outside the outside the bubble, you're not really going with an offensive mind with the list that's out there. To me, it's true. You're not going <clears> to <throat> go Harbaugh. Yeah. You're not going to go with most of these coordinators. Ben Johnson. Probably not coming here. Hate to burst anyone's bubble. <laughs> it's most likely going to come down to, to Vrabel or Mayo. And just from everything you hear, it just Mayo's got the, the thing in his contract. He's been on the staff. Kraft really likes him. He was drafted here. It's just there's a lot of signs that, that there's a lot of boxes that that that, that checks for Kraft. So yeah. I just think that that is probably the way they go. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so I put together a little list uh for for you guys to to evaluate um 
I did a list of the 10 best trades of the Belichick era and the 11 best draft picks of the Belichick era. And I'll explain why I did 11. You can probably imagine why. But, um, so I did trades. The, the only caveat for trades is that there had to be a player involved in the trade directly. So pick for pick, I did not put on the list. I know there's a lot of great pick for pick trades he's done, but I wanted to make sure that there was a difference between draft selections and trades. So there had to be a player directly involved in the trade for me to rank it. So um, do you guys want to hear what I came up with? Absolutely not. Okay, well, I don't think so. uh, I think I'm all good. Thanks, Bill Belichick. Thanks for so many great years. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think we're good. (laughs) All right, no footage. So I appreciate you offering. I'm glad you. I'm glad you. uh, I I only put in blood, sweat, and tears over this fucking list. So, uh, all right. So I have a few honorable mentions here. the third round pick for Trent Brown and the 2018 fifth round pick, which ended up being Jawan Bentley. Really good trade. Um, Tarvarius Moore was the person selected with the third round pick. I am ashamed to say I don't really know who that is. Um, I don't either. <laughs> but Trent Brown was invaluable to that 2018 Super Bowl team. And Jawan Bentley is still a really good piece for this defense. So good pick, uh, good trade. This might be controversial. Uh, considering the guys that ended up getting drafted, but the Brandon Cooks trade was good for the Patriots. Um, he was really solid for them. If he doesn't get annihilated in the Super Bowl, they they might win that game. Um, he was huge for them that year. Thousand-yard receiver. Um, they also got a fourth-round pick, but that was subsequently traded, which it became Mac Hollins, but whatever. Um, now, it's maybe a little controversial because the, they traded a first-rounder and a third-rounder for him. And those first-rounders became Ryan Ramchick and Trey Hendrickson, who both are very good players. So, um, you know, who knows if the Patriots tra- draft those guys anyway, but, you know, um, I still think Brandon Cooks was was well worth um, what they gave up for him. Yeah, and you also have to take into account, they got one year of Cooks at near Pro Bowl level and then still got a first-rounder for him. Mm-hmm. So they basically rented them and didn't really lose anything out of it. Like, that's that's really impressive work. You know, yeah. draft picks, who knows if they draft Ramjack or Hendrickson or right. they draft, you know, the next Aaron Dobson or the next Rod Mayo or whoever yeah. it is. Like, you never know. It could be an all could be an all pro, could be a guy that doesn't even make the roster, could be a guy that never plays, could be a guy that plays six years. You never really know, but to get hooks on your team for a year, not have to pay him a big contract. And still use that first round pick in the end. Yeah, I mean that's that's good business. That's just that's building a good football team. Sure. I was, I've always been a big Brandon Cooks fan too. Yeah. So having him on the Pats for that one year, it would have been awesome if he won a Super Bowl. But um, yeah, I've, I've always you know been a fan of his. Uh, 2012, the 2013 fourth rounder to Tampa Bay for Akib Talib and a seventh round pick. That fourth rounder became William Golston, and the seventh round pick became Michael Buchanan. But obviously, the highlight of that trade is Akeem Talib, who, again, another guy, speaking of Brandon Cooks, who did not win a Super Bowl with the Patriots because Wes Welker annihilated his ribs during a uh, championship game. But neither here nor there. Um, Akeem Talib, really solid player for the Patriots, really good pickup. Um, I could have done free agent signings too, I just didn't have the time to put it together. But, I mean, obviously, Jarrell Reeves would be up there. 
Um, Stephon Gilmore would be up there. But um, Akeem Tlaib, really good trade acquisition for the Patriots um, for that. What I think was, was it one or two years he played with us? Two years? Tlaib, two years. Two years. Good two years. Good player. Yeah, he was always good before um, before he got to the Pats. Yeah. But he took his career to a whole new level as soon as he got here. Um, you know, won a championship with the Broncos after two. So uh, he did end up getting his ring. But, yeah, that was really an excellent trade. And it was kind of under the radar, too. Because, again, he was good. People knew about him. Yeah. But he wasn't necessarily expected to be what he became. And this one might surprise you guys. Did not make the top ten. The Dion Branch trade in 2007. I'm sorry, 2006. Um, for a 2007 first rounder that turned into? Any guess? Mayo? No. Uh, I think Mayo was 08. Uh, he was. What, Bulmer? No, uh, Brandon Merriweather. Hit stick. Merriweather. Uh, um, yeah, he was... Uh not my favorite player no he wasn't a lot of people's favorite player that's for sure um but he wasn't bill's favorite player either but the fact they got a first rounder for branch uh really good and brandon merriweather not a pro bowler but he was a, a solid player for them so throw 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 my honorable mention all right uh so number 10 on my list the 2018 josh gordon trade um a fifth round pick which ended up being austin siebert uh for josh gordon and a seventh rounder subsequently traded end up being Nick Scott. So really it ended up being a fifth round pick for uh for Josh Gordon. I know Josh Gordon could have been a lot better here, but he was a pretty good player for the Patriots. And he did win a ring here. So I liked the move and I mean, you know, Bill was pretty reticent the past ten years to trade for a wide receiver who had any sort of big playability. Um so I think it's worth mentioning that this was a trade that he felt comfortable making and it ended up working out. I mean he wasn't a stud for years but the time he was here if you put all his numbers together for those 16 or so games he was really good for them yeah and i mean another guy who and like you said jake he didn't end up really getting it together in the nfl but you know he had a thousand yard season with the browns and then no team wanted him Pats kind of you know got him back into the fold again and then he ended up you know he went a ring with uh the chiefs too so Mm. You know, he ended up having a pretty successful career, all things considered, especially with, you know, all of the ups and downs of his career um, to end it with two rings and getting to play for, you know, Belichick and Andy Reid. Um, that, yeah, that's very, very good trade. I'll agree with that. Uh, number nine on my list, 2013, the trade that sent Jeff Demps in a 2013 seventh rounder to Tampa Bay for LeGarrette Blunt. So, LeGarrette Blunt also would be on the list of free agent acquisitions because the Steelers cut him the next year. And this is on the list because it established that relationship with him, that they brought him back the next year and he ended up being, you know, a Super Bowl champion. 18 touchdowns in 2016, that led the league. Um, so, I believe firmly that if they don't make this trade and establish that relationship, they may, never, they may never sign him back the next year. And who knows how things go after that. Um so, I mean, they basically gave up nothing for him, too. So, there's, there's the, the value plays into it as well. Um, LeGarrette Blunt, one of my, one of my favorite uh, offensive Patriots of that second dynasty. I loved LG. Yeah, I love LeGarrette Blunt, one of my favorite players, too. Um, yeah, always been a huge fan of his. Just bulldozer through people, getting touchdowns all the time, had so many touchdowns. 
Um, oh my God, yeah, that was such a good, good, uh, a good run there. Oh, for sure. Um, number eight on my list, a uh, 2003 trade, a fourth round pick, which ended up being Isaac Sopoaga to the Bears for Ted Washington, Super Bowl champion Ted Washington, a uh, pick only to get him in return. Um, I mean, that that's just great value, and that's what Bill has kind of made his, you know, he staked his claim to good value. That's what he always did. He always wanted good value, and uh, Ted Washington was a really damn good value uh, for that. Love Ted Washington too. Oh, so crazy. Definitely. Will Fork before the Will Fork before Will Fork. Yeah, I mean he was a space eater. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge, literally and figuratively for the Patriots. Um, number seven on my list. This might be controversial for how high it is, and it might be a little recency bias. But again, this is all about value for me. A 2017 six-round pick, which ended up being Brad Kaya. Uh, to the Lions for Kyle Van Noy and a seventh rounder that was subsequently traded and actually ended up being Noah Brown. Um, but I was a huge Van Noy fan when he was here. I thought he was just like a quintessential Bill Belichick, low draft pick trade pickup guy. And he played with so much intensity. He still does. I mean, he's on the Ravens now. And he's still bringing his A game to them. And, you know, he was huge to those defenses that ended up winning you know, winning a Super Bowl, um, or, yeah, I think maybe two, yeah, I think he was on the, he was on the Falcons one, right? Oh, yeah. 20, yeah, 2016, he was on the Falcons one, so, two Super Bowls, um, love Van Noy, dude, he, I was, I was always such a big fan of his. Another guy who was considered a bust before he got here, mm -hmm. um, Bill completely turned his career around, and like you said, he's still playing, got two rings, yeah, um, yeah, he, he was an excellent player, Always very underrated when he was here, too. Yeah, yeah Van Noy is excellent. Yeah. Really good at pretty much doing everything, jack of all trades. Yeah, good player. Uh, number six on my list, uh, Bill Belichick, well-known for knowing when to move on from guys for the right time. And I think the next three trades represent that. The first one, trading Matt Castle and Mike Vrabel to the Chiefs for a 2009 second-round pick that ended up becoming, any guesses? Defensive player. Razai Dowling, yeah. <laughs> no, he wouldn't be on the list if Razai Dowling was the answer. Uh, no, it was Patrick Chung was the answer. Um, who was a really solid player for them in two different stints. Um, uh, then he went to the Eagles and came back and you know won another Super Bowl or two with the Patriots. And, uh, you know, Matt Castle was okay for the Chiefs. And Vrabel, I don't even know if he... I don't know how much longer he played, honestly, for the Chiefs, but... Um, Bill Belichick, known for knowing when to move on from guys. Uh, number five, the 2014 trade that sent Logan Mankins to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for Tim Wright, solid tight end, but most importantly, a fourth-round pick in 2015 that ended up being Trey Flowers. So, Trey Flowers, really important piece of that pass rush for the second dynasty uh, before he ended up going to the Lions on a big-money deal. Mankins, they weren't going to resign him. Uh, he ended up having, what was it, like a, almost a 10-year career here. Um, but again, Belichick just knew when to move on and uh, got some pretty good value in this deal, too. It's crazy that Trey Flowers was on the pass this year. Mm. I did forget about that until the moment you just mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, he was a good player. Yeah, I loved Trey Flowers. I thought he was so, so good. I mean, I... 
He was one of those guys where I thought he was great, but I definitely understood not paying him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four. 2009, the Richard Seymour trade uh, to the Oakland Raiders for a 2011 first-round pick that ended up being Nate Solder, who was anchoring that line for many years uh, for the Patriots. And th- you know this was, a, this was a tough one to rank because trading Richard Seymour was a tough decision. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer. But it was one of those situations where Bill just made a tough decision, and it worked out because he went to the Raiders. He was good but nowhere near the level he was when he was here. Um, and Nate Solder was end up being, uh, like I said, an anchor of that line for several years after that. So I think the value here was, was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you got you got a blindside protector for Brady, pretty athletic, really good in the run game. And, you know, it it allowed the Patriots to cash in and get a guy that, could help them under a really good contract for a while over a guy that was aging and had seen better. His best days were behind him. Ain't that the truth? All right, number three, uh, a second round pick uh, in a 2000, it was a 2004 trade, second round pick that ended up being Maju Williams for Corey Dillon. Pretty good. Pretty good trade. <laughs> Definitely. He, uh, how many rings did he win here? Uh, just one. But he was integral to that 2014. Oh, absolutely. I remember every game, too, he'd have, like... Uh, this is what I love about Blunt, too. Yeah. Like, he'd have, like, grass stains, like, mm-hmm. stains from the paint on the field. Like, he'd have his jersey, like, half-ripped. Like, yep. every time by the end of the game, you know, you see this guy, and you're like... He, he was bulldozing through some, some guys going to the end zone, like having five players on his back. Uh, yeah, even though he was here for a short time, definitely made his mark. Dave, any thoughts on Corey Dillon? Um, I mean, they they resuscitated him. Like, no one really wanted him. He was still a good player, but he had kind of like just not really a lot of appeal to other teams in the league. And again, they brought him in and he worked perfectly. He fit the system. I think he ran for 1400 yards the first year they got him for a full year. And uh, obviously the rest is history. They, he, they turned into a really, really powerful and efficient run game. And, you know, back, that was back when everyone to win, to win a Super Bowl, you really needed to have a workhorse in the backfield. You needed to have a guy that could rush for a thousand yards. You just you just had to. It was just how the how the offensive would run. So it was it was a huge, huge pickup for a good price. Absolutely. And I think the parallels between him and Blunt are, are pretty apparent. I mean, guy who was, you know, viewed as sort of on his way out or just couldn't fit in with other teams and not a great pass catching running back, just kind of a guy that ran downhill and just absorb body blows. Um, yeah, love, love, love Corey Dillon. Uh, you guys can probably see where I'm going with the top two. Uh, number two, March 5th, 2007, trading a second-round pick and a seventh-round pick to the Miami Dolphins for Wes Welker. Um, you guys know I'm not Wes Welker's biggest fan, but even I'll admit, I mean, this was an absolute steal for the Patriots. Um the, the, those picks didn't really turn into you know stud players, and Wes Welker was a guy that 
you know, uh, I was reading an article, I think it was Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports today wrote it, but you're talking about Wes Welker, a guy that revolutionized the slot position at receiver and just became such a, an incredible, incredible player for them. I mean, he was just so shifty and dynamic and was such a great compliment to uh, a certain other player who may be mentioned in a, a few moments. Um, I might as well say it now. The number one trade is the Randy Moss trade. I mean, it's not even close. Um, a fourth-round pick wound up being uh, John Bowie to the Oakland Raiders for Randy Moss. Um, really the quintessential Belichick trade. A guy that is on a downturn, reputation-wise, that he thinks he can get something else out of. And boy, oh boy, did he get something else out of Randy Moss. Uh, one of the greatest receiving seasons in NFL history. And a part of, still, even though they lost the Super Bowl, still one of the best teams in the history of the entire league. I mean, it, to me, that is, it, it's just far and away the best trade he's ever made. Yeah, I mean, there's not much left that needs to be said. The only bummer is that Moss didn't end up getting a Super Bowl with the Pats. That would have been amazing I know. Um, to seal the deal especially with that perfect season. But, you know, all the memories that were made in, what, two and a half years he was here for, or three and a half? I think it was three and a half, because he was here 07, 08, 09, they got traded in 2010. Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, he was great his entire time here. Yeah. Um, and there's always the um, the video of Randy Moss inviting Belichick to the Halloween party. Oh, my God, that was circulating yeah. today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of good memories with Randy Moss, for sure. Randy Moss, 07 Comeback Player of the Year for the uh, Pro Football Writers Association. Uh, really, on a Flacco Comeback Player of the Year. It's really, just wasn't good the year before. And then comes out, puts up 1,493 yards, 23 touchdowns. That set the record. 98 catches, 15.2 yards per reception. Um, just you know, almost you know, about 93 yards a game. Just an absolute beast of a receiver. Um, would have won Offensive Player of the Year if it wasn't for Tom Brady, who was just unbelievable, unconscious that year. Um, was second in the AP Comeback Player of the Year voting, which uh, ended up going to Greg Ellis of the Cowboys. It was a close race. But, um, yeah, I mean, Randy Moss, just, just incredible. Incredible. Incredible talent. Uh, Dave, anything to add on Randy Moss? He just, uh, you know, you didn't really know how much he had left, and it ended up being a lot because, like you guys set set the record, transformed the offense. Uh, you know, you never can forget the image of Darrell Revis pulling his hamstring trying to run him down, and uh, it's just an absolutely unbelievable trade and well worth taking a swing for the fourth round pick. He trimmed his salary to fit under the under the cap that year because he knew he didn't really have a lot of their options. And he worked hard, and he earned his contract. And, you know, they ended up getting a third rounder for him. So even after all those years that he played for them and did all those things, they still even got more than they traded for him Crazy in the trade out. So just an all-around A-plus. Randy Moss, 52 games with the Patriots, 50 touchdowns. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. Um, all right, on to the draft picks. So... I have a top 11 here, mainly because we all know who the number one pick, the number one guy is. So, uh, you know, obviously, 
like Brandon mentioned earlier, spoiling it, it's Razai Dowling. I, I'm, I'm sorry, okay? I didn't want to... I didn't want to ruin it, okay? Yeah. Um, he's number two. So I guess... I need to add some... God damn, can you stop spoiling it? Um, Aaron Dopp... Oh, no, I read it. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. Um, Alright, so I have some honorable mentions here. Um, Dion Branch did not make the list for me. 2002. He might have been the last guy I cut, honestly. Um, 65th overall, seven-year starter, Super Bowl MVP uh, against the Eagles. Great career here. Two different stints um, with the Patriots. 2006, fourth round, 118th overall, Steven Guskowski. Two AP first-team All-Pro appearances, four Pro Bowls, three-time Super Bowl champion. Um, he was much maligned because he was in the shadow of Vinatieri, but... In retrospect, Goskowski had a great career here. And even I'll admit that because I was never his biggest fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steven Goskowski and, you know, I, I, I think you can make an argument that they had two top five kickers for basically almost all of Belichick's tenure here. Like, Guskowski in his heyday was, you can remember the Giants kick where he won it for them, 58 yards or whatever oh, I remember, it was. I, I, remember, I remember watching that live. Yep. I mean, it was at that point where he he was like what, for people that don't even remember, that was like what Justin Tucker was now. Like, you walk, you see him walk out and you're like, oh, oh. well, yeah. they're going to get three points here, so I don't know what we do after that. It was like, it yeah. was just guaranteed at that point where Guskowski was going to make it. Yeah. You just didn't ever really imagine a scenario where it's like, wow, he missed. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a long, you know, it's just a really, really long period from where we are now where you're like, oh, Chad Ryland, he's going to actually hit a 35-yarder. Wow, that's pretty cool. It's it's come a long way, and they've yeah. drafted two kickers that have been massive failures, I would say, and that's putting it nicely. So it's We've seen a lot, but Gus Kelsey was awesome for a really, really long time. It's it an awesome draft pick. Uh, yeah, I I like Gus Kelsey. Uh, I I toward the end of his time here, I never felt comfortable with the single kick that he was going on the field for. I felt comfortable with Nick Folk his entire tenure with the Pats, but like the entire second half of Gus Kelsey's time here. I did not feel that way. I definitely give him props. He was a very good kicker. Like you said, top five, Dave. Um, but yeah, he had some wild moments. Uh, that Broncos game in the playoffs where we ended up losing 19 to 20 um, and he missed a PAT. That was pretty painful. Um, but he did come in the clutch a bunch of times too, especially earlier in his career. Um, Deion Branch, I absolutely love Deion Branch. I think that, you know, he... He's in that mix too, but uh, yeah, Gostowski was 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 pretty good. Indeed, indeed he was. Um, all right, 2008, first round, tenth overall. You may have heard the name earlier, Gerard Mayo. One uh, AP first team All Pro appearance, two Pro Bowls, Defensive Rookie of the Year, a seven year starter, uh, injury riddled career, kind of towards the end, kind of cut short his time in the league, but still, you know. I would say very much a hit in the top 10. Definitely. Always been a big fan of Mayo. Um, had a very strong, has always had a very strong connection to Bill Belichick too. Um, 
if you've ever seen the video, I can't remember who was with him. There's Brady and a couple other players, but they were doing this interview and they were asking like, you know, if you guys wanted something to happen, like a day off or like something like that, like how would you guys approach Belichick about it? And they said they would ask Gerard Belichick to <laughs> go to go to go ask him because they said that Bill loved him so much. So they would say, um, like he he Gerard was like his third son on the coaching staff. Or not I mean when he was a player before he became a coach too. Yeah. He was like he was his third son. Um so yeah, definitely had a very special bond with Belichick. And if he does become his successor, that will be, you know, another significant patch in their their relationship together. His two thousand ten season, twenty ten, hundred and seventy four tackles that led the NFL. Three fumble recoveries, five passes defended, a forced fumble, and two sacks. I mean, that that's just an incredible season. Um, so, yeah, love, love Gerard Mayo. Uh, 2012, Chandler Jones, first round, 21st overall, 10-year starter, two-time AP first-team All-Pro appearances, four Pro Bowls, won a Super Bowl here. I know things didn't end great uh, for Chandler Jones uh, with the Patriots. I know he got traded, but... Um, just one of those typical Bill moves, you know, just didn't want to pay him, didn't see the need to, tried to trade him, you know, end up thinking, you know, I think he got pretty good value for him in the end, but, um, yeah, I mean, again, those AP appearances, not necessarily all the Patriots, obviously, but, um, in terms of identifying talent, definitely a hit. Um, 2013, Logan Ryan, third over, third round, 83rd overall, seven-year starter, two-time Super Bowl champion. 2014, James White, fourth rounder, 130th overall, three-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, I wrote here one of Tom's favorite weapons. Tom loved James White, dude. He loved him, and for good reason. He was great. I'm pretty sure he led the NFL in receptions for, like, a five-year stretch. Maybe among running – I would imagine among running backs, for sure. No, I think, like, overall, like, uh, for a three-year, like, five years, like, not each year, but, like, over that entirety, hmm. the entirety of that time. Well, he did have a lot of receptions. Let, let's put it this way. James White is a running back, and when you look up his stats on football reference, receiving is listed before rushing. <laughs> I mean, I could so, be wrong, but he was at least up there for sure. Yeah. I mean, he played eight years in the league. Really, it was six full seasons, but he was so – he had 87 catches in 2018. That's ridiculous. For how our, many did he have in his last season? Because I'm pretty sure in a game and a half with Mac, he had like 12 receptions. Yeah, he had 12, 12 receptions in three games, but he got hurt early in that third game. Yeah, so so, so he had two yeah. two games in one quarter of the yeah. third game and had 12 receptions already. Really, it, such a shame, too, because I loved – I thought he'd be so important to this team, and then he got hurt. It was a hip injury, and those are always so tough. So, I mean, yeah. 40, 60, 56, 87, 72, 49 over his really his six year peak in terms of, of uh, pass catching. But he was just so much fun to watch, so reliable for Tom Brady. Um, and I know, I know you're a big Shane Vereen guy, Brandon, but he really, Shane Vereen crawled so uh, James White could walk. Yeah, definitely. He, he was the. The James White before him, and obviously there's Kevin Falk before. That. Right, I mean Kevin Falk was the grandfather of the godfather of those two. Um, was it Sammy Morris a pass catching back too? A little bit, back? but he wasn't here long enough to really join the fraternity, in my opinion. 
but he was they good. Burkhead, Woodhead. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Denny Woodhead, one of those guys I never thought they should have left. Should have let go. Yeah. Dion Lewis. Mm, oh man. Dion. Lu- I don't want to get too far off the track here, but Dion Lewis getting hurt against the the against Washington, tearing his ACL. Still one of the most like five most devastating injuries I've seen. Because he was so good that year. He was so good that year. I was so upset when he got hurt. It was like the fifth time he tore his ACL, too. Uh, he was like a cheat code, too. He was so good catching passes and, and maneuvering in the open field. And then I still remember watching it when he got hurt. And I was like, oh, my, he's going to be out for the year. And sure enough, he was. And then I think he ended up winning a Super Bowl anyway. And then he went to the Titans and started bad-mouthing the, pa- bad-mouthing the Patriots. It was an interesting trajectory for his career after that, but uh, played yeah, for the Giants too. Yeah, that's right. He was in the NFL. Was it last time. year or was it the year before? What was it? He was in the NFL. Was it last year or the year before? Easy to find out. Let's check it out. Deion Lewis. Yeah, because he was in the NFL recently. He was in the NFL in 2020. Was the last time he played. 2020. Like games, last time he played. So, um, yeah, 2016 for the Patriots. He played seven games. He had 17 catches. He rushed for 283 yards, but he was dynamic. And then he got hurt. Came back the next year, almost 900 rushing yards, 200 receiving yards. He was good, really, really good. Over 1,100 uh, scrimmage yards for the Patriots. They lost the Super Bowl that year, but uh, he did win the one with them the year before, even though he was not on the Super Bowl roster. Um, Also on my list, uh, 2014, also Malcolm Butler, undrafted that year. Uh, obviously a Super Bowl forty nine hero. Also undrafted in 2015, David Andrews, who has become uh, a fixture of the offensive line, maybe one of the greatest centers the Patriots have ever had. Um, really big piece of that line, really big, and a great leader too. Um, speaking of offensive linemen, Joe Tooney, third round, 78th overall in 2016, two-time Super Bowl champion, Two-time Pro Bowler, seven-year starter. He's now with the Chiefs. And I, I love Joe Tooney. I think he was such a good draft pick, especially for the third round. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you said Andrews and Butler was before that. Um, mm. Butler had some really nice things to say about Belichick today, too. That was pretty cool of him. Um, yeah. Especially with how you know people always talk about him getting benched in the Super Bowl. And that was obviously... Uh, contentious situation however it went down um it was cool to see him have some kind words for him david andrews beast you know heart and soul of the team especially now that matthew slater is likely to retire which is you know another thing in in and of itself this team's going through a lot of changes right now um and then sorry who was the most recent player that you mentioned as well that'd be one joe tooney yeah then tooney yeah he was uh, a really good player to hear too, obviously. Um, yeah, he's the Chiefs had a lot of question marks on their line, and granted, they still have some right now, especially um, with like Brown at right tackle, um, always having something going on, whether it's him going early, being lined up incorrectly, whatever. But uh, Tooney's definitely added uh, a lot of you know, just straight professionalism to that line. That dude's yeah. just a pro, he knows exactly what to do at all times, just gonna be a guy who you can always rely upon. And that's a, a position that the Chiefs didn't necessarily have prior to that. You know, they had, what, it was um, Matthews, right? And then who else did they have? Shorts, was that it? Oh, my and God. 
they've both gotten like significant injuries. Yeah. Oh, yeah, toward, yeah, yeah, yep. Coming toward like crossroads in their careers where it was like, are you going to give it one more shot? Are you going to cut these guys a year, a year two, a year early? Excuse me. Um, they clearly made the right choice. Yeah, definitely. Um, quick hitters here. Uh, 2018, J.C. Jackson undrafted. 2020, Jacoby Myers undrafted. So another couple of good undrafted pickups there. 2020, Kyle Duggar, second rounder to your starter. I like Kyle Duggar a lot. I really thought they might trade him this year, so I was excited they didn't, but I'm unfortunately not holding out hope that he's extended. Uh, Michael Lowenu, also sixth rounder in 2020. And just want to touch on this real quick, guys. I know that we... A lot of people harp on Belichick for his drafting recently. But I'll say this. Christian Gonzalez and Keon White this year in the first two rounds, I think a couple of good hits to go out on. Yeah, I, I mean, Gonzalez, a lot of people had him as defensive rookie of the year through four weeks. Such a shame. Yeah. He got hurt. So we'll see what comes of that. And Keon White looked like he... He, I mean, he obviously has the talent, but we'll see if he puts it together like he did the last few weeks of the season. But, um, you know, he didn't draft well enough. Because he didn't yeah. draft any of the like the yeah. the real bedstones or the or the bedrocks of kind of the foundational pieces that you need, like the Gronks and um, the Logan Mankins and the Chandler Jones, like the the real A plus talents. But I wouldn't say he drafted horribly. I mean, it, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't good enough, obviously. But right. there were some hits in there. I mean, there was some Dietrich. Dietrich Wise was really good. Juwan Bentley was really good. Duggar, you said, was pretty good. I mean, again, not good enough. And your job is, as an evaluator is to get the best players, and they didn't do that. So certainly that goes on his record too. But he also did leave some pieces that I think really, really helped this defense. There was a lot of really talented guys on that defense. I mean, if you're looking at how Belichick left the Pats, I mean, I think we're in a really good position. Uh, really good defense. You got ownership that is, like, dying to win. You got, like, 80 million cap. You got the number three pick. You got all of your top six picks, and you also have a seventh, I'm pretty sure. Um, they have a lot of room to, 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 to grow with whoever comes up in here, whether it's Mayo or... You know, Vrabel, someone else. Yeah. Um, all right, into the top uh, top 11 here. Number 11 on my list. It's funny Dave mentioned this guy just recently. 2005, Logan Mankins. First round, 32nd overall. Made an AP first team, all-pro uh, squad, seven Pro Bowls, started for 11 years. And I wrote here also the unluckiest member of the Patriot dynasty because he was drafted the year after they beat the Eagles. And he was traded the year before they beat the Seahawks. So he played, what is it, almost 10 years here in New England without a single Super Bowl victory, which in the 21st century is almost impossible uh, as a Patriot. But at the end of the day, Logan Mankins, incredibly consistent. He played at least 15 games in seven of his nine seasons. Um, he played all 16 in six of them. His first five years, he played all 16 games. I mean, he was so reliable for them. And I know that Bill Belichick's gotten some guff for drafting drafting cards in the first round recently, but Logan Mankins was most certainly a hit. Yeah, Mankins was awesome. 
he was one of the best linemen in the league for a long time. And as a first round, he was a tackle at Fresno State, but came in the league and became one of the most dominant guards in, in the in the league. And probably the toughest guy that's ever come across and played in, at Gillette Stadium, playing with torn ACL on both legs one of the years. So just an overall awesome pick, great guy, and earned his contract. And unfortunately, it didn't, like you said, it didn't happen here for him for a title, but he was still awesome here. Yeah, well said. Uh, number 10, 2008, Matthew Slater. Fifth round, 153rd overall, two AP first team team, first team squads, 10 Pro Bowls, three Super Bowl championships. He's been to more than that as well. Um, I mean, what does it really say about Matthew Slater? I mean, consummate professional. And, you know, for my money, I know we're, we're biased because we're Patriots fans, but Matthew Slater is a Hall of Famer. I mean, Matthew Slater, in my opinion, if you are the best at what you did in, in your respective sport, you should be a Hall of Famer. And Matthew Slater is the greatest to ever do what he did in the NFL. And I know he didn't put up stats because his position does not produce stats, but he's not the only position that doesn't produce stats that's in the Hall of Fame, okay? I mean, Joe Thomas didn't put up stats, but he's in the Hall of Fame. Like, it, that not every position puts up numbers, okay? Um, so in, in my humble opinion, Matthew Slater is very much a Hall of Famer. And for a fifth rounder, I know he's <laughs> he's listed as a wide receiver. He's not a wide receiver. He's, He's, he's a gunner. He's a special teamer. And he, there has been no one in the past 15 years better at what he does than Matthew Slater. That, it's just, it's objectively true. Yeah, I love Matthew Slater. Um, seeing that he's most likely about to retire is super sad, especially considering Bill leaving now, too. Like I was saying earlier, just so much change going on with this team right now. It's... Uh, insane and Slater's been here for 16 years of Bill's 24 so um been a massive part of this entire run as well had hands in kind of both parts of the dynasty at different times as well um and he's been you know the vocal leader for the Pats for you know at least the last what six seven years you know always leading the game uh leading the team excuse me after wins um and then obviously plenty of things behind the scenes too that all the players you know especially recently considering he's about to retire i have been gushing about for sure uh number nine on the list 51 career picks a first team all pro selection four pro bowls a nine-year nfl starter fourth round pick 120th overall 2003 cornerback asante Samuel. I know things aren't great with him now in terms of his respect for the organization and Bill Belichick, but Asante Samuel was incredible for the Patriots for five years from 03 to 07. Uh, he had a pretty solid career after that with Philly, three Pro Bowls in four years in Philadelphia. But he picked off 22 passes in New England, returned three of them for touchdowns, was a really good corner for the Patriots, and especially in the fourth round, really good value. Uh, for Belichick here. Yeah, it was his son, his son is in the league now too, which is insane, which is wild to think about. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he was a playmaker on the ball. He made a lot of, uh, had a lot of defended passes, a lot of interceptions. Would get beat on occasion, but was kind of a chance taker. Made the QBs really think before throwing over there. And uh, it was a, it was a great hit. The Patriots have had a lot of luck with late rounds or undrafted corners, which is ironic because they haven't had so much with top of the line corners in the first, second, or third round. But um, that I would say the one thing that the Patriots have done really well is develop late round undrafted corners in, in Belichick's tenure, and Samuel is probably one of the better ones. Faux show. Number eight on my list, 2010, first rounder, 27th overall, Devin McCourty. 13-year starter, two-time Pro Bowler, a three-time Super Bowl champion. Again, one of those consummate professional Patriots. You know, never going to be a you know an All-Pro or a Hall of Famer. Um, definitely on the outside looking in there. But in terms of Patriots over the past 15 years, Devin McCourty's got to be top five. Absolutely. I mean, you look at it. I think Devin, there's a case to be made that Devin McCourty is probably it could be one of the best draft if not the best could be one of the top two or three draft picks just from a standpoint of his first year he was a pro bowler as a corner and then moves over to free safety and becomes probably the one of the top two or three free safeties in the game for the next 12 years and the voice of the team the captain leads to all that success is the face of the defense basically is the play caller because they don't really have him and Hightower really are the only linebackers that are play that are green dot guys. Jamie Collins wasn't really a green dot guy and Mayo, his career was relatively short, but uh, you know, it, McCourty really changed that defense before he moved to safety. They had that, they had a lot of trouble preventing deep plays and deep passes and, they put one of the smarter guys there, like that, knowing that he was really smart and changed the whole defense for the next 10 years. So, uh, Devin McCourty, how good was he his rookie year? He was the only other defensive rookie to get votes for defensive rookie of the year, other than Dominican Sue. He had 48 of the 50 votes. The only other two went to Devin McCourty. So, really good year. Seven interceptions, his career high. Obviously, he was playing cornerback, like Dave said, so that's, you know, a different story, but. In 2019, as a free safety, five interceptions. Really, really good. Um, Just a dynamic player. Almost 1,000 career tackles. um, Mostly playing out of the free safety spot. You know, three AP second team selections. So he definitely got his recognition. And especially in New England. You know, people love him in this this part of the country. So love McCourty. Big fan. Number seven. This might be controversial for how low it is. I'm not going to lie. But number seven is Julian Edelman. Seventh rounder, 232nd overall, seven-year starter, three-time Super Bowl champion, and Super Bowl 53 MVP. Um, the only reason Edelman's not higher on this list is because the only guys above him are either maybe the most impactful players the Patriots have had in the past 15 years or Hall of Famers. Or fringe Hall of Famers. So, Edelman's so high on this list because of the value of that seventh round pick. Picking up maybe Tom Brady's favorite weapon ever. Maybe. No big deal. 
Yeah, obviously Edelman's a legend. Uh, <laughs> there's not even really anything that needs to be said I mean, because yeah. I mean, it's just his playoff records, um, how clutch he always was, the catch, um, winning the uh, Super Bowl MVP. He won the MVP, right? He sure did. Yeah, yeah, Super Bowl MVP. Um, yeah, Edelman's a beast and came out of nowhere. A guy who. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to get cut a bunch of times, was just a punt returner when he first got here. Um, got more and more responsibility as the years went on. Mm-hmm. You know, there was even some time where people thought he was going to go to the Giants when he was doing free agent visits and whatnot. That's but, right. You know, from start to finish, you know, was a Patriot the whole way. Bach Burrow forever. You know, he's got that saying. Um, yeah, so really cool to see that Edelman, you know, finished his entire career with the Pats. Just to give an idea of how long we've been doing this podcast, I think the weekend that Dave and I recorded the first or second episode of this show, I was in Meriden, Connecticut, and it was the weekend that Julian Edelman tore his ACL in the preseason. If you remember that, Dave. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Because that was, I was the... at MetLife, too. What was that? That was at MetLife against the Giants. Yep. Oh, wait, was Here. it against the Giants or against the Lions? Was it, was it the Lions? I thought it was the Giants. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember. Because I, I'm pretty sure... I think it was the Lions. All right. I think so. But they do play the Giants like every preseason. It's very weird. I thought it was I thought it was in Detroit. Yeah, just totally yeah, meaningless. I'm, I'm game. probably thinking of another injury. You you are yeah, there's been a lot of them. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. What an idiot. <laughs> uh sixth number six on my list here. Uh an AP first team selection, three Pro Bowls, ten year starter, three time Super Bowl champion. Second rounder, 48th overall in 2001, Matt Light. Um, I mean, Matt Light is a fringe Hall of Famer. He's not, he won't get in, and he you know, may not deserve to get in. But if you're talking about Patriot offensive linemen of the past 20 years, he, Matt Light's probably the best one. And I don't think, I don't think that's controversial to say. Yeah, I mean. He was the Nate Solder before Nate Solder, before Wolmer, before um, Mankins, like before all those guys. Matt Light was the OG for protecting Tom Brady. Uh, And he did an excellent job at it. And he was sort of, again, the blueprint of who the Pats looked to fill that role ever since that point. Um, Yeah, excellent player. Not quite a Hall of Famer, but he's a guy with probably like a level or two below it. and he's in the Pats Hall of Fame, right? I, I would be stunned if he wasn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's been in for a while. I think uh, he's in, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's been like at least a decade he's been in. Um, maybe not that long, but almost that that, that long, if if not. Um, yeah, definitely deserves to be there. Dave, any thoughts on Matt Light? Just the, you know, he's just was one of the better tackles in the league for a long time protected Brady's blind side and for a while the Patriots had a pretty steady stream of talent at tackle with Vollmer and Matt Light and Nate Solder and Marcus Cannon was really good for a few years and then you had Isaiah Wynn was was good when he played for his first few years but then eventually just was hurt so much and came back and was inconsistent again and um, for a while, the offensive line was the strongest part of the team. And 
they would invest in tackles in the higher rounds and guards and centers in the later rounds. And it was a really good formula that worked for them. They were able to kind of replace guys all the time and find guys from all these different schools and free agency and undrafted free agency. And Matt right. Light was awesome from coming from Purdue and coming from a you know position where he probably wasn't thought of as a, a lead tackle and became an elite tackle. So it was he's a great player. Number five on my list, an eight-year starter, a two-time Pro Bowler, a three-time Super Bowl champion, and for my money, the most impactful defensive player of the second dynasty. First, first round, 25th overall in 2012, Dante Hightower. Yeah, he was uh, he was incredible. Did pretty much a do-it-all guy. Sorry, I mean, I played for Nick Saban in Alabama and was one of the drafts where the Patriots traded up twice. Traded for Chandler Jones, traded for Dante Hightower. Right. And uh, they nailed it with both guys. When you trade up, you have to really – you're giving up extra extra picks. So you really have to make sure you hit it because the one thing about the draft is people are going to make mistakes and you're going to miss and people won't work out. So the more picks you have, the better. And Hightower ended up being an absolutely amazing player that they don't win two Super Bowls, at least if he doesn't play. So there's two direct correlation, two plays that have direct correlations to the outcome of that game. So an absolutely amazing player to watch. There's probably not too many of those guys around anymore and probably not too many more of those coming around with the size, the adaptability, the smarts, the you know, just the overall ability to play the edge, set the edge, handle blocks, handle linemen in the middle, take on blocks, fight off blocks. It just he could do it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Saved two Super Bowls, um, led that team for a long time. Love, love Hightower, one of my favorite Patriots. Um, and it's it's really cool to see just like the like I was just talking about with Matt Light, just the successors of like the prototype that the Pats have had over the years, from like the Bruce McGinnis type to the Mayo type to Hightower um, to like Bentley and guys like that now. Um, Really cool to see that transition over the years and that there's still like that sort of you know, lineage that you can trace back. Hey, man, I would argue that they don't win any of those Super Bowls without him because he made the tackle on Marshawn Lynch. He forced the strip sack of Matt Ryan, and he hit Jared Goff on the interception of the threw to Stephon Gilmore that essentially ended up sealing the game. Um, so that's why I believe you know he is to me, by far the most impactful defensive player of that second dynasty and a completely invaluable piece to the uh, to the defense. Number four, a uh, one-time AP first-team All-Pro selection, five-time Pro Bowl, or 10-year, I'm sorry, 11-year starter, a two-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, that would be a one, Vince Wilfork, my wife's favorite Patriot of all time. Yeah, he's a... Uh probably a top three Patriot for me as well. Um, Brady's my favorite. Troy Brown's my second favorite. I'd say Will Forrest probably my third favorite Patriot. Well, hold on, Brent. Brent what, I'm sorry. Where's Michael Huamano Anui? Yeah, oh, he's fourth. Four, oh, worry. damn it. Um, damn, that's right. But yeah, Vince Wilfork, absolute beast in every way, shape, and form. Um, baller. If he's not a Hall of Famer, he's like a step below. Yeah. Um, 
and he'll definitely be a Patriots Hall of Fame. He's not in yet, right? He's on the ballot. Not, not yet. I mean, he he's he's a as shoe in as it gets. But yeah. yeah, I'm not sure when he's. I don't know how their ballots work, but it's it's tough to get because they only do one uh, yeah. player and like one coach slash like staff sort of person every year. Right. Um. And then obviously, there's so many guys who are going to get in that they have to, you know, move down the line. There's probably like 15 guys at least who we can think of on the top of our heads who, you know, are not in the Patriots Hall of Fame yet that are shoe-ins and will be there soon. Uh, I, th- I think Algie Crumpler's on the ballot this year. Yeah, he's uh he's right at the top of the list. <laughs> Yes, no disrespect to uh, Falcons legend Algie Crampler. Uh Dave, number three on this list for me. Um, three AP first-team All-Pro selections, a seven-time Pro Bowler, 57.5 sacks, Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion, sixth overall in the 2001 NFL Draft, Richard Seymour. And that's all she wrote on Richard Seymour. Thank you, Dave. I think Dave might be frozen. Uh, <laughs> no, he's definitely frozen. Um, yeah. yeah, Brandon, you'll take the ball on this one, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we already, you know, we talked about Richard Seymour already. Sure. There's nothing left to add. Yeah. I mean, he's an excellent player, um, Hall of Famer. So that obviously speaks for his accolades um, right. without having to say much. And, uh, again, already talked about him, excellent player. Yeah. Pat's Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer overall. OG. And I, I know I know it's also belaboring it a little bit, but took him too long to get in the Hall of Fame, also. Uh, number two on the list uh, is Dave Back. Yes, he is. So, Dave, number two on the list, uh, second rounder, 42nd overall, 11-year starter, four-time AP first-team All-Pro selection, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl champion, um, with the Patriots, that is, so a four-time Super Bowl champion overall. And the GOAT tight end, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, I mean, was yeah, there even say, like was there even say? <laughs> yeah, best tight end of all time, and I've never seen a guy look so uncomfortable in a game and so frustrating for opponents. I mean, honestly, I think Rob Gronkowski is the most I mean, trust me, we'll get the guy at number one is his own species of person. But Rob Gronkowski might be the most dominant player I've ever seen offensively in my life. Like, just at his peak, completely unstoppable. Yeah, it was... That play against the Colts. Yeah. yeah. I think that's my favorite play. play oh, by my God. Throwing... Was it Sergio... Was it, no, it wasn't Sergio Brown. Who was it he threw out the club? What was it? Oh, what was the guy's it, name? It was Sergio Brown. It was it? Sergio Brown, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's... But I mean, definitely. like... Cool Think about back to like certain plays, like no matter what you wanted, like elite run blocking, pass yep. catching, run after the catch, catch over the middle, catch down the sidelines, contested catch, behind behind him, catches the ball with one hand, diving catches, like he just did everything. Like you think about the 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 one on one go route against KJ Wright in the Super Bowl. Oh my god. In the end zone. You think I, about the catch yeah. in front of the goal line where he reaches back yep. with one hand and snares it out of the air. You think about him running over defenders. Like, you just wonder if this guy had had a little more luck with injuries, where he would be in the record books and in people's minds. Because yeah. I think anyone that really, really watches a lot of football, 
like he's the best tight end of all time. It's not really a question. And all those things you mentioned and all correct. But another one that stands out to me is that I don't know if you guys remember the this the the play against Washington. I think it was his rookie year or his second year where he just caught it along the sideline and just shed five or six different guys and brought it down to like the five yard line. It was just unbelievable to see a guy like that just un incapable of taking him down. And you know, you mentioned the the KJ Wright which I mean, it was like a, just an, like a joke at that point where it was you don't put a linebacker on Gronk. Like he's gonna beat him. He's not gonna. He's not gonna defend him. Don't even bother. Um, yeah. I mean, just one of the greatest offensive players I've ever seen in my entire life. No doubt, Hall of Famer. To me, to us, and to most objective people, uh, the greatest tight end ever played a game. So that brings us to number one. Uh, not a lot of suspense here. Um, uh, where to even begin? Three-time AP for a Seam All Pro. Uh, multiple MVPs, 15 Pro Bowls, all-time leading passer, GOAT, future Hall of Famer, six-time Super Bowl champion just with the Patriots, added another with the Buccaneers, sixth round, 199th overall, of course, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Come on now. Come on. It's just, I mean, there's no other selection here, obviously. I mean, by the time I said draft picks, everybody knew who number one was. Um, I mean, come on. And there isn't even, there's nothing to even say. I mean, we, we've done whole episodes on Tom Brady. We've done whole trivias on Tom Brady. We've done everything about Tom Brady. I mean, what do you even say about the greatest player to ever play the game? There's really not much else to say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what, what do you even say? Like, it's like when you see like a priceless piece of art or you see like, you know, it, I, I I don't even know. Like it's if it's just, it's indescribable. You know, he wasn't, you know, the most talented quarterback you've ever seen, but he is the greatest winner in the past. I mean, it's really him or Bill Russell. Like pick your poison in terms of greatest winner of all time. Um, but I mean, man, for the limitations he had, and for some of the rosters he played with. I would say Tom Brady is the greatest winner I've ever seen in my life and probably the greatest winner that professional North American sports has ever seen. Yeah, I there's literally yeah. nothing you can say about Brady. Right. That would even do it justice. Right. He's I mean he's the best winner and the best champion any sport has ever seen other than maybe Bill Russell and Right. Just an absolutely incredible career where he did basically anything he wanted to against any team he wanted to at any point when he played. So on our way out here to circle back on Belichick with all the moves he's made and everything, Brandon, where do you think Bill Belichick ends up? Um, it's tough. I think there's, I think there's two teams that are most likely, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if it's fully true, but from some reporters, they're saying they don't think it'll be an AFC team. Um, I think the Falcons or the Commanders, you know, really makes sense. Um, especially because, I mean, so many people are saying the Chargers, but the way I'm looking at it, I'm like, Bill is not going to, I mean, at least the way I see it, 
not going to hitch his wagon to an incompetent franchise uh, with an owner that's a micromanager who always, you know, needles into things and is annoying and everyone hates him. Like, Bill's going to want to go to a team where he's got full autonomy to do his thing. I think the Falcons with Arthur Blank, I think he would give that to him. He's like a well-respected owner, someone who knows how to run a franchise. And the new group they have with the commanders right now, they're a blank slate. He can completely reshape that that franchise in his image. So I think those are two, you know, destinations that make a lot of sense for him. Like the Panthers, I don't see that as a realistic place. Like Bill Belichick working for David Tepper and a guy who is so volatile that he's had, you know, what, three coaches coaching his team in the past year. Um, the Raiders, they're even worse. They've had four coaches coaching their team in the past, like, two years, two-plus years. They've got two coaches they are paying, like, $25 million a year or two right now. Um so I think that there's, you know, obviously destinations that you could say make sense roster wise, but I think the franchise and the front office are not, not as much the front office because he can change that, but the franchise, the ownership group, especially, you know, they've got to have some competency to them as well. So again, I think Falcons or commanders make the most sense in my opinion. Um, I would agree. I, I, I thought the commanders were the best choice. Um, going into this and then I saw the report, I think it was Jordan Schultz, who was I think Bleacher Report, said today they, they don't that the commanders don't believe they're gonna go in the direction of Belichick. I do think the Falcons are a very legitimate choice. Um especially if they do what I think they should do, which is trade for Justin Fields, but uh neither here nor there at this point. I think I think the Chargers, for all the reasons you said, Brandon, very astutely, I think those are not he's not a right the right choice for them. Also I think beyond what you just said, I think Jim Harbaugh is gonna end up being the coach there. So, I, I don't think he ends up with the Chargers anyway, but um, I think the Falcons are probably the most logical choice right now. Um, but I will say this, and I kind of said it half-joking in uh, our Jeopardy group chat earlier today. If the Eagles lose to the Buccaneers, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Nick Sirianni gets fired. Which is crazy because they went to the Super Bowl last year. I get that. You but I, say that, but what? Is this is his second year there. Does it matter? I mean, maybe if he's really, you know, ruining things that quickly. I don't know though. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. IDK. 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 I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think Schefter Schefter did say that there was like a mystery team or whatever. Yeah, know, a team that hasn't hasn't relieved their head coach yet. Yes. I know some people think that's the Cowboys. I mean, Eagles, it could be too. I could see it. Um, which, Dave, I'll let that uh, – I'll pass the baton to you. Where do you think Belichick ends up? It's a good question because there's a lot of variables out there. Mm. I mean, I think the number one thing – he obviously wants to win. He doesn't want to spend another three years chasing the record. He wants to get it within two years. Right. He doesn't want to go to a team that has a bad roster because he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. But I think the only thing that's non-negotiable for him is ownership being involved or meddling around. I think that's non-negotiable for him. If, if owners are doing that, he's not interested. So Carolina out. Right. As much as Dallas would be a great fit out, he's not going to do a deal with Jerry Jones in that sideshow. And, you know, you just go down the line and kind of can figure it out as far as what ownership fits that fits that bill. I mean, as far as jobs that could be open, the AFC's closed. None of those jobs make sense. The AFC West closed unless you count 
the Chargers, I and the Raiders just fired McDaniels and aren't going to go in the Patriots direction again. Chargers, I think that's Harbaugh's job, and I don't think Belichick would work for Dean Spanos. The AFC North, no jobs open. The South, he's not going to Tennessee with that that roster. That roster's a nightmare. Uh, Jacksonville and, and Indy are not not getting rid of their coaches. Houston too. For real. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's really you look at it. There's what teams fit that bill with ownership? What, Seattle. What that's about gonna be Dan Quinn. What about the Giants? I I don't think so because ownership doesn't mellow around there. But that roster is really bad. It's okay to have a roster, I think, where you're not top of the top five, ten teams because that's like, for the most part, that's who these teams are. Is why they're looking for coaches, right. is because they their rosters are not maximized. Whether that's the fault of the coach or the GM or both. So I think you're really looking at. I don't think the Eagles is a far fetched possibility if they lose again, especially with the meltdown they had down the stretch. They were ten and one. They finished eleven and six. So, I think. Realistically, the teams that are open right now that still have an opening, not including obviously if the Eagles or Cowboys lose or whoever, I think the only teams that really make sense are Washington, Seattle, and Atlanta. And of those teams, he's not going to Seattle. That's probably going to be Dan Quinn. Right. Washington doesn't seem like they go in that direction. I think process of elimination, Atlanta, their their roster is for the most part competitive. That division is winnable. So, you know, you can get in the playoffs every year. That's something that's probably appealing to him. And if you trade that number eight pick, you could potentially get a quarterback. You could sign Kirk Cousins. Right. You could do a lot of things where you could at least have a quarterback that doesn't lose you games, and he'll fix that defense. And who knows? They have a lot of offensive talent. So um, we'll see We'll see where he goes. But if you, if you have to figure out where, I would say Atlanta is probably the most likely scenario. Mm. And second, I would probably, as crazy as it is to say, I think maybe the Eagles is the second highest possibility. It just, there's just not a lot of possibilities out there that you look at and say, oh, you know what? Belichick's going to go there. It's not, it's not the same as when Brady was a free agent and everyone knew that Tampa Bay had set up all their chips for it. Oh, wow. They have all these receivers. They have cap space. They have a Mm. QB friendly coach. They're playing an easy division. They're playing florida he's a house there like there's none of those scenarios so right i think realistically it's atlanta i think yeah i wouldn't be surprised i mean i feel like we're all in on atlanta i mean it's kind of crazy to think of him playing there but or coaching there rather but yeah i mean mean, the offensive talent too has got to be appealing yeah like he is he just came from new england where they struggled to stock the stock the uh the cupboards you go to atlanta They've taken an offensive skill player in the top, what is the top 10 in the last three consecutive years. You have Pitts, yeah. Drake, London, or London wasn't the top 10. He was in the middle of the first round. But No, London was London was eighth, wasn't he? Was he? I know Pitts was what? I'm Pitts pretty sure. Four. I'm pretty sure they've Bichon had. Was, yeah, I'm pretty sure London was eighth yeah. overall. Yeah, so three top 10 offensive skill position players who, by all accounts from almost anyone that watches it, are all hits. They're all very good players. They need to figure out how to use Kyle Pitts, but he's he's very good when they use him. And Bijan only got half the carries last year because Tyler Algier, for some reason, got carries. Not really sure about that one. but um, Well, Belichick, yeah, you know, Belichick loves to get tight ends involved in the offense. Only certain ones, apparently. 
but um, he does have a rapport with uh, John o. Smith, so <laughs> maybe. But um, he does he does love his tight ends, uh, getting them involved in the offense, and uh, so I think I think he could he could work with it. And obviously, like you said, the defense for a portion of last year, the defense was very good. So I think he can work with uh, some of the younger guys there and kind of build what they've gotten. Like you said, bad division. I mean, then again, you know, it, it, I think he's chasing that win record, and I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled it in, in two years playing, uh, coaching rather, for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. But that's, uh, that will do it for our Bill Belichick retrospective. Any closing thoughts, Dave? Just thankful that I got to watch this team and be a fan of this team for so long. It's crazy, right? It really is. Brandon? Exactly. Uh, Bill's the GOAT forever. Brady's the GOAT, has the GOAT dynasty. Uh, it's sad to see it's over, but I'm happy that I got to grow up watching this every week for, you know, 20-something years. There you go. Those They, they both said it better than I could have. Uh, thanks to Bill Belichick for those decades of memories. Best of luck uh, in the future, and we'll uh, talk to you guys next week.